Welcome to Black Sparrow Radio, KBSR, transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas. You are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Happy New Year, plant friends. Thank you for joining me again here. I'm Plow and Hose, and welcome to my backyard. It's ridiculous <laughs> out here. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It, it's just cold. Um, I was super busy today, and I didn't get around to recording um, the show until now. And as you know, I enjoy recording on my backyard patio. If you are in Central Texas, then you know that we are having crazy weather again. Like today, this is Saturday, January 1st. It was 80 degrees this afternoon and I was out in the yard and sweating and getting ready for this cold front that blew in. And we are supposed to get down to 28 degrees. It's like 33 degrees right now. And like I said, I spent the whole afternoon watering my plants and covering the more tender ones up and mulching really well. I don't have a whole, whole lot of um, cold weather plants, vegetables out in my garden, but... um, I wanted to go ahead and make sure that everything was taken care of. And because we've had these really, really mild temperatures this fall and early winter, I still actually had some wonderful and beautiful, really, really productive pepper plants. And I actually went out there today and I picked five pounds of peppers today. Five pounds of peppers on New Year's Day. That is just crazy to me. Those pepper plants have really been amazing and so, so productive. And when I was out there today, I I went ahead and cut some of them back and picked, harvested all the fruit that was out there. They still had so many blossoms on them. It's been that warm. And I've got to, you know, I've got to say that it's just been like a combination of the warm weather and taking care of them, but it's also been plant selection. So if you like peppers, if you like the spicy peppers, I really recommend Sugar Rush Peach Peppers and for more mild peppers, Shishito Peppers. Those have been really, really great plants for me this year. So if you are looking for pepper plants for Taylor or our part of Central Texas, try those. Sugar Rust Peach and Shishito. Even though this weather is totally bonkers lately, I have to say, I am so glad that we have officially started winter because to me, the sooner we start winter, the sooner we can be finished with it. 
with the holidays taking a lot of my time, I did miss out on um, talking about the winter solstice. Now, the first day of winter is the shortest day, but also the longest night of the year. And on December 21st, we had the least amount of daylight during the year. So less daylight in the night seemed longer too. But every day from here on out, we get a little more daylight every day. And before you know it, it will be springtime. And that's my favorite time of year. Now, my youngest daughter loves when the seasons change. Not so much what is happening outside. I mean, because she is much more into like seasonal clothing and she can't wait until it cools off. So she can change up her wardrobe and pull out her cute sweaters and kind of wear, wear some different clothes. Me, on the other hand, I really don't get super excited about winter. Honestly, I mean, I'm glad it's not 100 degrees like the summertime. But I'm just not a really big fan of the cold. I like for it to get cool enough so that we can plant lettuce and broccoli and other cool season weather crops. That I'm, I'm just not a super fan of the cold, especially after the cold that we had in this past February in 2021. But the good thing about winter in Central Texas is that it doesn't last all that long. But since things have slowed down around the yard, I'm not having to mow the grass, and I'm not having to drag that hose around as much. We do get a little break from our yard chores, and we get a little bit of time to think about maybe what we want to do with our gardens next year. You know, if we take a minute to reflect, think about what plants did really well for you this year. And then also think about what plants didn't do so great. And if they didn't do so great, what were the conditions that kind of contributed to your success or failures? I mean, sometimes it's on us. Like, we didn't water enough, we went on vacation, and it got really hot while we were gone, or we just plain forgot, or maybe something got into our plants, like we had a bad bug infestation, or... You know, other, other things like that were totally out of our control, like freaky, weird weather. There are just so many factors, but I have found that plant selection and when you plant are some of or two of the most important things that you can do for your garden. They're just as important as tending to your garden and p being present in your garden. But, you know, since it's a slow time of year and there's not a whole lot going on, it's a really great time to think ahead and plan for spring. And then also think about, you know, what maybe you could do differently in your garden. Maybe learn some different things. You know, here in Taylor, in Central Texas, we are part of Horticultural Zone 8B. And because of that, you know, we're far enough south that we are able to plant some things from seeds 
all winter long, especially if you really enjoy fresh greens because we can plant Asian greens like bok choy, tatsoi, and mizuna greens. We can also plant cool season greens. Um, those include kale and collard and chard. And we can also plant lettuce, radishes, and spinach also this time of year. While we are in a bit of a slump, it is a really great time of the year to start thinking about and planning for spring and beyond. So maybe take a minute or so and go online and request some seed catalogs. And I know I will probably sound like a super big weirdo by admitting this out loud, but I love a nice seed catalog. I love to look at the pictures and read the descriptions and make a list or circle of things that I want to buy and grow for the next season. It's kind of like being a kid at Christmas and looking at the Christmas wish books and flyers and making a list and getting excited about things. Except now I'm excited about seeds, which is really adult of me. But <laughs> anyway, I do find myself needing to moderate <laughs> when it comes to ordering seeds because there are just so many cool plants out there and so many that I really, really want to try. And I am getting better than I used to be because I used to be pretty bad about ordering lots of seeds. And that's because I am a sucker for pretty plants and weird plants. If I haven't grown it before and it looks good, then I want to buy it. And I used to order them a lot on impulse and not really pay attention to what the horticultural planting zones were. And then I would get them and end up being disappointed by the results because for the most part, it just gets too hot here for a lot of the plants to do well. So... For the most part, I feel like I am finally learning that lesson. Although I am still tempted every now and then to take a chance and order something that I find so pretty or really interesting sounding just to see how it grows here. Because you just never know, right? It could grow here. Things are kind of crazy with our weather here. They, it might work out. Anyway, <laughs> seed catalogs are great because there are just so much more variety available. Seeds can be a little challenging, but they are such a much better value than transplant buying transplants from the nurseries. And there are so many great companies to order seeds from. I mean, thanks to the internet, I could just spend hours looking for seeds and thinking about my garden and being overly optimistic, optimistic <laughs> about all the wonderful things I could grow. 
So take a little break and go look up 2022 seed catalogs out there on the internet and sign up to receive their new seed catalogs. Some of these companies have wait lists, so it can take a while to get a new catalog. You know, they have to print them and I'm sure they get lots of requests, but make a note to do this pretty soon because you might miss out if you wait too long and request a catalog. And be sure to get that order in because some of these smaller specialty seed companies, they do sell out. And that's happened to me before. By the time I get the catalog and I get my order list all together, it was too late for some of the seeds because some of them had already sold out. And that kind of left me feeling a little sorry for myself that don't make that mistake. Go ahead and get those seed catalogs ordered. Start looking for some seeds. All the big corporate seed companies that sell the usual seeds and the common varieties those are gonna pull up first on your internet search but if you get a little clever when you are out on the google searching you can really find some wonderful small seed companies and they sell some really really interesting seeds and plants there are companies that sell nothing but one type of plant like pepper plants so if you run across their website and you start looking for radish seeds, they're not going to have them. They only have like pepper plants and all kinds of them too, from extra hot and super exotic to mild and sweet. And the same goes for like tomato seeds and other plants. So if you're really into a particular type of plant, you will likely find a group dedicated to it or a website dedicated dedicated to it and some of the best uh, seed companies and plant companies I have found by joining different groups on social media I found a lot of really interesting plant groups on Facebook Instagram uh, I don't know if YouTube counts as social media it kind of is but Anyway, it's so nice to see what other people are obsessing over. And I got to say, I love the internet. I think it's really great. So when you go out to your browser to do a search, you know, in that search bar, just type in terms like seeds for Texas or organic seeds or heirloom seeds or seeds for the South Southwest. The more specific you are, the more likely you will find the more interesting seed companies out there. Lots of independent and small seed companies to choose from. There are several com companies out there that specialize in conserving old cultivars or heritage or heirloom plants. Um, these are the ones that have been passed down from generation to generation over the years people have saved their seeds you know for for many reasons obviously they save the seeds so that they could grow crops for the next season so they would have something to eat but 
Some clever folks were also making sure that they were saving seeds from their very best plants. Some gardeners prefer the heirloom plants over the hybrids or improved varieties, mainly because of a particular characteristic that makes them stand out from other varieties. You know, like, these really grow well here, or I think heirlooms just taste better. You know, there are some folks like heirloom plants because they are open pollinated. Now, that means seeds saved will have the same characteristics of the parent plant. You will always, always be able to save the seeds and feel confident you will get the same plant year after year. So heirloom plants are also called open pollinated plants and they are always going to be the same year after year. They pass their genes on exactly carbon copy. Open pollination occurs through insects and birds by wind, but then also through hand pollination by humans. Open pollination plants are more genetically diverse and over time, these plants can adopt, I'm sorry, these plants can adapt to local and regional growing conditions. Heirloom varieties are those plants that have a history of being passed down through the generations within a family or community. Now, heirloom plants must be open pollinated, but not all open pollinated plants are heirlooms. Some seed companies want to know the exact history and the legacy of a plant before they are actually willing to consider it an heirloom. Other companies want to say they have to be at least 50 years old to be considered an heirloom. And I was doing research on heirlooms and when I was digging into what makes an heirloom an heirloom, I really started to feel like a lot of the information was super nitpicky, but you know, whatever. But for me, heirloom plants are going to be those seeds that come from old varieties. Now, for me, there was a time when 50 sounded really old to me, but not anymore. The only time it sounds old is if you say it's half a century old, and then that sounds really old to me. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you will go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music all coming out of our little station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you are out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page or the Plow and Hose website plowandhose.com and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. 
If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and please leave a review. It's really super quick. Just click on the stars. That is going to help others find the show. And it lets folks know that Plow and Hose is a pretty good show. And if you have already left a review, thank you so much. It really does mean a lot to me to see feedback. All right, let's get back to seeds. So a quick recap. Heirloom seeds are old varieties that have been passed down. They usually have some history associated with them, and more often than not, they have a unique characteristic that was favored for one reason or another. Like, hey, these are a cool purple color, or these really grow well in our heat, or these are really ugly, but oh my god, they taste so good. We've got to keep them. So those are passed down plants heirloom old varieties so while you're out shopping for seed you will also notice lots of hybrid and improved varieties for sale hybrid seeds make plants that have been intentionally cross-pollinated by humans people will take two plants and cross-pollinate them so that the offspring has a desired trait. Hybrid seeds contain all the genetic information in the pollen to create the desired plant. The seeds that are marked hybrid or F1, first generation, will develop a plant that tends to grow better and produce higher yields than the parent varieties. And this is really great because who doesn't want a plant that grows better and produces more food? The downside of hybrids is that you can't save the seed from them because they are either like genetically unstable or their seeds, which is the second generation, they either aren't fertile at all or they're unpredictable and you will not get the same plant if you tried to save those seeds. So if you like what you grew from a particular hybrid, you are always gonna have to buy new seed every year. And that's kind of a little bit controversial. People and companies who create hybrid varieties, you know, they spend a whole lot of time and money to bring us improved plants. So to protect their financial interests, they can apply for plant patents. Patents help companies and individuals protect all the research and intellectual property associated with the new plant, new plant that they have created. A plant patent also allows the patent owner to legally protect their plants from being copied, sold, or used by others. And I, I don't know, uh, it's weird to me. I, it sounds weird. I mean, why would they want to do that? I mean, for one thing, they don't want the competition to make money off of their research. And of course, they want to sell you the seed. And hybrid seed has to be bought new every single year. 
Now, for us small backyard gardeners, it's really not a big deal. I mean, one little packet of seed doesn't cost very much. I mean, you know, two, three, four, five, six dollars for a really, really rare seed. But for folks who grow on a larger scale, like farmers, having to buy hybrid seed every single year can be really expensive and it eats into their profits. I mean, some years may be really good. Some years are okay. Other years when they don't have a good yield for, you know, whatever reason, like drought or flood or a freak storm, you know, that kind of thing. That expensive patented seed doesn't pay for itself. It doesn't make them any money. Being able to harvest and save some of your seed every year is more is definitely the more profitable way to grow food. And then there's also other controversies with patented seed like GMOs, genetically modified organisms. Genetic modification actually happens naturally. It happens every time plants swap genetic material during pollination, but that is a really, really slow process. And that's how plants have evolved. It's the intentional genetic modification where humans come in and swap DNA in a laboratory that kind of gets people a little upset. I mean, some folks are really concerned about the long-term effects on the environment and some folks just don't like the idea of implanting outside or foreign DNA into their foods. Yeah, I get it. I mean, this is scary sounding and gross and nobody wants to eat Frankenfood. Also, there are folks that don't think companies should profit off of plants, especially when they create dependencies like having to buy seed from only one company. Some folks are also concerned about global food production, and they don't think that it's right for companies to control seeds through industrial monocultures and patents. I think that's something to think about, and it's a really good question. Why should a corporation get to monopolize food production and be able to charge for something that Mother Nature has been providing for free? People do like choices, and they want to be able to choose their food and how it's grown and all that. And I think that, you know, with this coronavirus pandemic, it's really highlighted some things with our food supply chain. I mean, it's really changed things how we knew them. And it, it really has gotten a lot of us to think about health and nutrition and food and food security. It's all very complicated, but it is really worth thinking about. I hope that, you know, if this intrigues you, go out and do a little bit of research. There are some wonderful books that talk about all of these topics. It's really worthwhile, especially if you're a plant person. I think it's really interesting.
You know, since I brought up genetically modified seeds, I just want to clarify a little bit and give a little more information about GMO when you are shopping for seeds because you will see GMO free or non-GMO on websites and in catalogs and on packages. And you'll, you'll definitely um, notice this on organic seeds. Hybrid seeds are created by cross-pollinating two different parent plants. It's, the, it's pollen exchange. GMO seeds are created through genetic engineering, and that's where the DNA is manipulated in a laboratory using unrelated genetic material. And for us backyard gardeners, we don't have to worry about accidentally purchasing GMO seeds because there is right now currently no genetically modified garden seed available to purchase by the general public. But companies will go ahead and put GMO free or non-GMO on their packets and in their product descriptions. But just know it's just marketing. It's not false. It is a little misleading because all those little envelopes of seeds that they sell um, at the retail level, they're all non-GMO. And that's really good news for us that are wanting to avoid GMO seeds in our backyard gardens. Some other uh, terms, terminology that you will come across while shopping for seeds are organic and treated seeds. For seeds to be labeled organic, they have to be grown and processed using standards set by the USDA's organic program. So basically no pesticides, no synthetic fertilizer. And of course, they can't be genetically altered either. Treated seeds are those that are coated with a chemical like a fungicide or antimicrobial or a pesticide. The main reason companies treat seeds is to protect them from soil path pathogens that could prevent them from germinating. So not necessarily a bad thing, but if you are conscious about that kind of thing, you need to understand what treated means. Seed companies will note, or they should note, if their seeds have been treated or coated with anything. In my experience, I've only seen coated seeds a few times, and both times were at the store and they were sold as bulk seed. Um, just read the description carefully and ask questions and decide if you want treated seeds. For me, I've never really felt a strong need for treated seeds, so I'm probably not going to start now unless it's treated with something good that's going to help my plants. Some of these seed companies specialize in saving seeds, not only for ensuring biodiversity of crops, but also for cultural reasons, because seed saving allows them to not only pass on wonderful seeds, but also important food-related rituals and harvest-related traditions. NativeSeeds.org is a nonprofit in Tucson, Arizona that collects and sells and distributes heirloom and rare seeds. Their seed collection represents the cultural heritage 
of more than 50 indigenous communities, as well as Spanish and Mormon immigrants. Their seed bank maintains like 2,000 different varieties of plants, and they, all of those varieties are adaptable to arid climates and landscapes. I really love nativeseeds.org website. And I have bought some really interesting seeds from them. I was really pleased because the seeds did really well for me. I mean, as you know, it gets really, really hot here in the summer and drought tolerant plants are exactly what we need around here. And all of their seeds are suitable for growing in harsher conditions than we have here in Central Texas. Another thing, I also appreciate NativeSeed.org's conservation efforts to save rare seeds while helping promote food security and sustainable growing practices. So please go check out NativeSeeds.org if you want to get some cool seeds and also support a really neat organization. All right. Let's switch gears just a little bit and start talking about fruit trees because Central Texas in January, all of the local independent nurseries get their primary fruit shipments in this month. There is a lot more variety available because it's planting season for fruit trees in Central Texas. Fruit trees are wonderful things to add to your property. They're ornamental when they're blooming and they provide some shade. And then on top of all of that, you get fresh fruit. Now, January is pretty much the only time of the year to get bare root fruit and nut trees locally. Bare root just means that they are shipped and sold at the nurseries without a pot or soil. So their, their roots are naked and they're bare. And bare root trees are only available for a short time because these little trees are dormant. And when, they, when it starts to warm up and the plant wakes up and it starts wanting to grow, and when this happens, any bare root trees at the nursery they're going to be potted up and put into a container to protect those roots and you'll end up paying more for a container grown tree if you wait too long bare root trees are easier to plant and move around because they have no soil container grown trees can be quite heavy not necessarily because they have better roots but they have all the weight from the soil in the container. But because their roots are completely exposed, there's a very short planting window for bare root trees. You need to buy and get your bare root trees in the ground as soon as possible, preferably right when you get them home so they don't get damaged or dried out. If you have been wanting to add fruit trees to your garden, Now's the time to figure out the best location for them. Fruit trees need at least six hours of full sun in order for them to produce and grow lots of fruit. So whether you decide to plant them 
or wherever you decide to plant them. Make sure you get a spot that has lots of sunlight every day. Being winter, this might be a little bit harder to figure out, but if you don't already know how much sun your yard gets. Now, some fruits need two so they can cross-pollinate. So be sure you have enough space for multiple trees. Apples, pears, plums, and sweet cherries need two in order to get fruit. They have to cross-pollinate with a buddy tree. They don't have to be the exact same variety. You can get two different types, but they have to be appropriate for each other. So before you buy any of these fruit trees, do a little research. A lot of times, the tags on the plants will list what type is needed, but honestly, don't count on those tags to be very helpful. Do your own research, or in the very least, bring your phone to the nursery so you can look up the information. If you don't have a ton of space for a bunch of trees, then you should get a fruit trees that are self-fertile. They don't need a buddy tree in order to produce food. Self-pollinating trees include peaches, apricots, nectarines, and sour cherries. Depending on the varieties you choose, most fruit trees only need to be spaced 20 to 25 feet apart. The dwarf varieties usually only need 15 feet between trees. So with some careful planning, you might be able to have several different kinds of fruit trees on your property. But you need to start planting now. So get out in your garden soon and start figuring out where to put some fruit trees. Well, friends, thank you for joining me again on this blustery cold day if you missed any of my plan pose shows from kbsr last year or you just like to hear a particular show again all of the 2021 shows are available in podcast format so go find plan hose on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to subscribe to the show all right friends have a lovely and cozy and wonderful week Production assistance provided by KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas. Thank you.